Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't know if you'll remember this, but we had sort of a tech mishap at my TED Talk. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember there was someone who, if things didn't go well, who you could sort of go talk to or would give you a hug or something like there's someone right if things didn't go well i, I think i think i have a team of huggers if, if, <laughs> if things don't go well welcome to how to i'm science writer david epstein at some point everyone's got to give a speech that could be on stage it might be in your office or these days staring into the dark black hole of your computer's camera and i've given a lot of speeches these last few years and i still get nervous every single time because you can prep and you can plan all you want, but successfully captivating an audience, that's different and tricky every time. That's why we're focusing on TED Talks today, because they've set the standard for popular speeches in the digital age. And our expert this week, he knows a thing or two about them. My name's Chris Anderson. Uh, I'm the guy lucky enough to run TED, as in TED Talks. And so you've You've been the curator for TED in this period where, in some ways, it became synonymous with, with giving a public talk. You know, maybe you've seen and, and thought about more talks than any human being who's, who's ever lived. I've definitely had a good front row seat. Chris has had more than a front row seat. Over the past 20 years, he's helped transform TED from an annual conference on technology, entertainment, and design to the internet behemoth that it is today. The best speeches, they get tens of millions of online views. We thought the internet was only supposed to be for cute kitten videos. It turns out not. People actually <laughs> wanted to learn. And, um, and so Ted took off in a, in a way that was quite surprising. You've probably seen some of the most popular videos. There's Angela Duckworth on the importance of grit, Dan Pink on the puzzle of motivation, Susan Cain on the power of introverts in a world that won't stop talking. In one talk, Bill Gates pulled a stunt that captured worldwide attention. I wrote a letter last week. When he came to Ted the first time, he really surprised people by bringing on stage with him a jar. And he started talking about malaria and how it's, you know, it's caused by mosquitoes. He said, oh, by the way, I brought some with me. Let me just let them out here. You know, you know, this shouldn't just be a poor person's problem. And um, so, you know, he literally released, I don't know, a dozen mosquitoes into this big auditorium. Experiences will let, let those roam around the uh, auditorium a little bit. Unless you're Bill Gates, Chris has maybe skipped the mosquitoes, but he's got plenty of other practical tips. And Chris has worked with tons of speakers, but our listener this week presents an especially unusual challenge. So my name is Lucy. I'm in sixth grade, and I recently read a book called Free to Learn. And I thought that maybe if I could write a speech and talk to my school board, then maybe some of the stuff from the book could be implemented into my school. Basically, Lucy wants her school to try a new approach to learning that involves way less homework. But she has to convince the school board. So, can the head of TED help our sixth grader with the biggest speech of her young life? On today's episode, how to communicate your idea so that it's as impactful as a TED Talk, whether you're in a sixth grade classroom or a corner office. 
we'll get the inside scoop from Chris, who will help us break down some of the greatest speeches of all time. I hope I've persuaded you to stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. So Chris, I'm curious if you can maybe walk us through some of the elements that a good TED Talk has. Mm. We love to say to our speakers that they should think of their talk as a gift. Um, you know, sometimes speakers think, oh, here's a talk, it's my chance to push my agenda onto the world. And if that is how you're thinking, the talk's almost certain to fail. Mm. Um, so instead, know that in your head, there is something really special called an idea, this little pattern of, of knowledge that can be amazingly, it can be transferred to the people in the audience just by your opening your mouth and sending sound waves out, you can literally rewire their brains. And if you do that in the right way, you have given them a gift that can matter to them for the rest of their lives. Chris's sentiment here, it's inspiring. The idea that simply sharing your ideas effectively can actually change lives forever. But how do we actually do it? It starts with making a connection with the audience and signal to that person, it's okay. You can open the doors of your mind to me. Um, hmm. we, can be, we can be friends for the next 15 minutes. That's why a lot of talks start with relaxed humor or telling of a story that is engaging. A second piece is showing early on why this even matters. And so, you know, it might be articulating a question or, you know, here is a problem in the world that I've been thinking about, or here is something big that happened to me that Honestly, I drew really big implications from, and I want to share them mm. with you. But you've, you, you have to do something to give people an incentive that um, they, they should continue to pay attention. And can you take us through a speech that you think did that especially well? One that's probably relevant to the conversation today and is actually the, the most viewed TED Talk of all times is, is by an educator, Ken Robinson. He actually spent 
the, the first part of his talk, just building a relationship with the audience, really around humour. Good morning. How are you? It's been great, hasn't it? It's been, I've been blown away by the whole thing. In fact, I'm leaving. Uh, and then he started to talk about the problems that happen in schools when creativity gets shut down. He, he argued that, you know, that creativity in schools in general is shamefully underplayed and that uh, we, we could do so much more if we allowed uh, that part of education to flourish. I had a great story recently, uh, I love telling it, of a little girl who was uh, in a drawing lesson. She was six and she was at the back drawing and the, the teacher said, this little girl hardly ever paid attention. And in this drawing lesson, she did. And uh, the teacher was fascinated. She went over to her and she said, what are you drawing? And the girl said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And the girl said, they will in a minute. <laughs> You sort of felt, wow, I, I'm, I'm having such a good time. I will go wherever this man wants to take me. This is, this is really fun. I mean, there's surprise, there's humor, but there's also, you can hear the audience, I think, sort of acknowledging a truth. I think a lot of people recognize listening to that talk that, you know, in their own education, that they, that they sometimes just weren't allowed to shine. They weren't allowed to really express themselves. This is actually not that far off from our sixth grader Lucy's topic, which we'll hear later. But for now, this is our first tip for giving a great speech. Find a way to connect with the audience right away. That could be humor, like Sir Ken Robinson did, or maybe it's with a surprising or endearing anecdote. After Robinson made that initial connection, that was what Chris calls the open the doors of your mind moment. Then he deepened it by telling specific stories that reminded listeners of their own memories of school. And that built empathy for the characters he was describing. He gave that talk to 800 people. But on average since then, in the 15 years since he gave that talk, approximately 17,000 people a day have heard it. It's like selling out Madison Square Gardens every yeah. night for 15 wow. years. When you get it right, the potential for impact is, is really quite extraordinary. You know, I want to think about another great speech a little bit. And and sometime last year, I kind of got obsessed with reading the papers of, of Martin Luther King, his academic writing, his sermons and all these things, and realized that he used what, what some researchers called typology a lot, where he would build, he, he would start with something that everyone thought was kind of irrefutable. And then he'd find other examples of it in history and bring it up to the present day. So here he is starting with Abraham Lincoln in his famous I Have a Dream speech. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, 
The Negro still is not free. I think part of what is what is happening there, although who am I to <laughs> decode, you know, one of the greatest speakers of all time, but, you know, starting with something familiar, and then you bring it into the present, and suddenly it, it creates this sort of sense of destiny that, of course, these pieces must fit together that way. And there's a, there's a kind of conviction and an excitement that goes with that. You have learned something. You are seeing the world in a different way by just by, by sort of by repatterning. And it's hugely satisfying when someone can do that right. You've written very wisely about the fact that actually you need a certain level of familiarity. Like there are surprises, but if everything is is totally surprising and unfamiliar, it's sort of hard to get a footing, basically. Yeah, you have to start where people are. You have to build from the tools that are already in their brains. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. I mean, there is so much going on there that in many ways, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm baffled by it. I don't know <laughs> how the great orators do what they do. It's a skill that arose in times, you know, well before microphones, well before the internet, well before television, where one person with a big crowd could weave a kind of magic, a kind of biological, you, you are aware that you are one of thousands of people listening. And you are aware of the sort of the growing belief of those around you. And so it's, it's, it's far, far more than simply listening to a talk. It's, your, you know, you're part of a movement. I do think that sometimes the best TED Talks do make you feel like you could play your little role in some larger effort. That is true. That is absolutely true. The journey that I think is, is so exciting to see is a journey that starts with curiosity. I think I'm going to learn something. Therefore, I'm going to open myself up and listen to this person. Oh, gosh, I hope there's some way to solve this. Wait a sec. This is making sense. This is making sense. It's that that makes the difference between just understanding something and understanding something and wanting to do something with it. Here's our next tip. The most effective way to share your vision meets the audience where they are. It's not enough just to give listeners what you think is important and hope they agree. You have to ground it in what they think is important and familiar and help them reframe how they think about it. So how can our sixth grader Lucy get her school to share her vision of change? When we come back, she'll take center stage. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with our expert, Chris Anderson, head of TED, and our listener, Lucy, who lives in Michigan, likes animals, fantasy novels, and apparently podcasts. Hi, Lucy. How are you? Hello, Lucy. Great to see you. I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Lucy. Lucy just got out of school for the day and agreed to join us for one more lesson, speech writing. Yeah, um, so I was trying to write the speech, and I was just struggling with, like, especially the, the beginning, the end, and how to give the speech. And so I thought that it would be cool if I could write into how-to and get an expert to help me. When Lucy wrote into us, she actually said she hoped to someday give her speech on the TED stage. So who better than Chris to give her some advice? Maybe we can take a look at your speech. Chris, does that, does that seem All like right. an okay way? To, I'd love to hear to, it. I would love to hear it. Okay. So, so here, this is my um, speech. Hello. (laughs) Sorry. Hello. My name is Lucy, and I'm here to talk about a book that I recently read called Free to Learn. Free to Learn talks about schools, more specifically, the things we need to change about it. It also describes an amazing cool school called Sudbury Valley. When I heard about the school, I immediately wanted to go there. Then I learned that it was in Massachusetts. The top two things that stuck out to me about Sudbury Valley were, one, non-age segregated play, and two, less homework. Let me explain why. Yes, it may sound counterproductive, but it's not. Less homework means more time for kids to play and do things that they're more interested in. Furthermore, homework can negatively affect family life. Most kids don't like homework, and when parents force them to do it, it can damage their relationships. Second off is non-age segregated play. By this, I mean at least In this part of the speech, Lucy goes on to talk about the benefits of non-age segregated play, where children of different grades can play together and learn from one another. Around younger ones. As you can see, a few simple changes to our school can make a big difference. Thank you. I'm going to round of applause, a huge round of applause there. Thank you. Goodness, Lucy. Well, first thing I'll say is, if I could have given that talk when I was in sixth grade, I'd have been a very proud boy. <laughs> like, um, your your confidence and uh, eloquence are really something. Um, uh, so bravo, you know, like it's all yeah. it's all up from here. But I would say a couple of other things about about just that you, you might be able to tweak this. First okay. of all, just as you gave it to us just now, it was clear that you were reading, and just yes. and that that tone of voice um, doesn't persuade or connect as powerfully as if people are really feeling it's coming from your heart. So it can't sound like you're reciting. It's got to sound like this is your passion. Okay. Just in listening to your voice there, where it came alive was in the moments when you, you know, you threw in a little bit of humor or we could hear you laughing or this, you know, then suddenly we feel differently about it. Is it memorizing, just making sure that you like can say it without having to read it? Yeah, it's it's definitely worth um, re- rehearsing and just trying to mix in different 
tones of voice, pace, and so forth. Yeah. Um, and and mainly just f- focus though on on you know this matters to me. I'm passionate about this. I'm going to look at each one of you. I'm yeah. going to smile from now and then, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to persuade you that this is a big deal and that it should be taken seriously. So here's another tip from Chris. Don't just read the words on a page or sound like you're delivering a memorized speech. Chris compares this to the difference between an actor who just recites their lines and an actor who really inhabits a character. Mixing in pauses, facial expressions, and different vocal inflections, that'll make your speech sound more natural because that's how you actually talk. Lucy, by the way, I know Chris mentioned something that might sound daunting, like sounding like you're not reading. I can tell you, once you start memorizing (laughs) ideas that are important to you and that make sense in order, it's way easier than you think. Like I memorize hour-long talks now, and if if you know these ideas and they they matter to you and they're in a coherent order, it's not, you're not memorizing X thousand different words, you're memorizing like (laughs) three different points or something like that, you know? That's really helpful. Chris says Lucy's speech might actually be stronger if she made it shorter and focused only on her first argument about less homework. Convincing your audience of one main idea, it's often more effective than trying to juggle multiple ideas. You know, you asked about how you begin it and how you end it. Um, Right now, I think you you just went straight in. Uh, My name's Lucy and I'm here to talk about a book I read. Um, Well, is that the best way to really grab the attention? I think you could play with some other ideas about why they should listen to this. And the way to do that is to think about what is important to them. Clearly, this book is important to you. What's important to them? And so, you know, you could play with something like, um, my name's Lucy, I'm in sixth grade, and I want to talk about something that I know we all care a lot about here, how to make a great score, how to make a good score even greater. This is a really important thing, and it's got me excited. Um, so that'd be one thing I'd say. And then the other main thing I, I think I'd just say is um, to persuade someone of something that might seem a bit controversial. It's a really clever technique to recognize their likely objection. Okay. If this makes sense. So, so yeah. uh, less homework, right? Yeah. So you know that in some adult's mind, they're going, oh boy, here's a sixth grader basically being lazy and... <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> wanting to spend more time playing and hanging out rather than doing actual work. Now, I think there's a case to try and take that head on and say, now, I, 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 know, I know that this sounds really self-serving. Um, of course, every sixth grader wants to have less homework, you know, but actually, honestly, that's not my motivation. I'm not afraid of work. What, I, what I've been persuaded of is that some of that time just could be better used. That play, we're thinking about play the wrong way. Play can be more than you think it is. It's not just wasting time, it's actually learning. And, and, and then to actually make that really land, you might need to do one more thing, which is to tell a personal story of when play did something important for you. So a story will really make something vivid and land even deeper. Okay, yeah. To Chris's point about using a personal story, you know, is there anything related to, you know, you mentioned this having less homework and maybe that making your home life better? Yeah. You know, I feel like there's always been that moment that like you don't really think about, but when you just you get so angry at your parents and like you get like sent to your room or something and it's just because of like there's so much stress involving school with like 
you want to get a good grade and you have to like make sure you know all the material. So yeah, I'd probably maybe like put in a story about like a time that I wish that there had been like less homework and then maybe like a time when um, play really helped me. That sounds great. Okay. Here's another couple of tips. Tell a personal story to make your ideas more sticky and anticipate the audience's skepticism and use it to your advantage. Especially, you know, you're a sixth grader trying to convince adults to give you less homework. If you cast a spotlight on their doubts ahead of time rather than avoiding them, you'll actually set yourself up to blow away their expectations. And they'll be one step closer to sharing your vision. Yeah. And it's also could benefit the teachers, like they have less stuff to do as well. Yeah, I think that's the, that was the key piece in the talk that was clever, was that you, you got to explain what's in it for them. Yeah. Um, and so, so articulating that piece, that seems like that's the harder piece of the argument. Yeah. So let's say your argument is rock solid. You've made that connection with the audience, you addressed their doubts, and you've shared your vision. You've handled everything that's in your control. But what about things that aren't in your control? What happens when things don't go according to plan when you're actually delivering the speech? Chris, have you ever had a mishap during a speech? Oh, goodness, yes. I mean, I'm not a great public speaker uh, myself. I'd, I used to be really bad and then I got to kind of sometimes okay, but I've definitely had moments where I, where I you know, like where you completely freeze. My, my biggest single failure on stage was when I was carrying um, a Burmese python. I wanted to, I was in host mode. <laughs> Who hasn't had that, you know, in a talk at some point. We had a session about the wonder of nature and I wanted to, <laughs> I, you know, this this thing was incredible. It was like a, God, a 12 foot yellow python, so beautiful. And I, so I had it around my neck and I was just saying, you know, to people how nature was amazing. And then, uh, and then unfortunately the audience started guffawing. And what I didn't know was that this, this python's, head had gone, you know, had gone down my back and had emerged from between <laughs> my legs and was sort of waving itself at the audience. Uh, that was, that was kind of hilarious. <laughs> when I gave a TED talk, there was like a technological sort of disaster right before I gave it. And you can't oh see this God. in the video online, but like all the tech stopped working and Chris was like running around trying to fix things. And all oh stuff. no. Yeah. Basically it was like, I go up on stage, I hit the clicker to bring up my first slide and the screens just go dark. So I'm, I'm standing there like on the circular red carpet. There's all these celebrities in the audience, you know, I'm staring at Cameron Diaz and Will Smith and wondering what to do. And then after a bit of awkward silence, I basically ended up making a joke about it. And that actually helped to warm up the crowd and things went great from there. And I get nervous before talks, like, yeah. ner like sweaty palms nervous. And one of the things that I thought helped was I sort of pictured like the worst things that could possibly go wrong. And so then when yeah. I got there and something went wrong, it was like, well, you know, not such a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think there is something to be said for nerves are there for a reason. They're there to tell us that this matters. And if you've prepared and, and, you know, before the talk, you, you've like physically, you know, you breathe deep or you go, go, just go for a really vigorous walk beforehand, get, make sure the blood's flowing and doing what you can physically so that you're relaxed. Then yeah. just give the talk to four people, four individuals in different parts right. of the room and just, you know, give a sentence to one person and look at them. And, you know, maybe some of them are people, you know, but look, look, look at them and look at the next person. That's what will help you ground it and, and, and center it. I think that's much more powerful than imagining <laughs> the audience in their underwear or whatever. That's silly. No, don't do that. <laughs> good good, do good that. tip. Here's our final tip. 
use those nerves as motivation to practice. Instead of just considering your anxiety a fault, remember that those feelings are signaling how much this matters to you. And that's why you're doing this whole speech in the first place. You asked about the ending and how you could make that more powerful. Um, If you want people to act on an idea, like they need to be able to picture what that action is. So could you ask, for example, you could say, Hey, so I know this seems weird, but here, here's a suggestion. Why don't we just try a little experiment? Let's just try an experiment. Pick a small group of us and, and yeah. try this policy for one semester and, and then see what happens. You know, I'm betting you're going to be amazed. I always remember um, a couple of TED Talks where a person made a commitment at the end yeah. of the talk. and It was super powerful. So if you're, if you're willing to say, why don't you try this and sign me up? I'll be, I'll be your guinea pig we can make this work. Yeah. Like there, there could be something powerful in that, given how confident and compelling you are. Yeah, that's a great idea. It seems like it could be sort of a good kicker talk too, right? It's like, I'm, I'm sticking my neck out, you know? Yeah. Now it's in your court. So Lucy, you've gotten some pretty like sophisticated pointers from Chris here. Do you feel like it's helped you? Yeah, I think it definitely helped. And um, going back to your point about um, being nervous about like, you know, I'm just in sixth grade. I When I emailed you guys, I was actually like, I wasn't sure if I should put that I was in sixth <laughs> grade. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm just, they might just be like, well, she's just a kid. So we, I don't know if we can make an episode out of this, but I'm really glad you guys did. I'm really glad you wrote into us. Public speaking is something that, you know, a lot of us have to do at one point or another. And really, it's been just a total treat hearing Chris talk about what makes a successful speech, no matter how old you are. So thanks to both of you. Thank you. It's been really interesting. Lucy, absolutely lovely to meet you. Good luck with this talk and with your life. Thank Um, you. I I, I know it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. (laughs) And let me know how this, I want to know how this goes. Thank you to Lucy for writing in and for sharing her speech, and to Chris Anderson for all of his great advice. Be sure to check out his book, TED Talks, the official TED Guide to Public Speaking. And not long ago, Lucy sent us her new and improved speech. Hey guys, my name is Lucy, and I'm in sixth grade. I'm here to talk about a book that I recently read called Free to Learn. Great book, you guys should read it. Anyways, Free to Learn talks about school, more specifically what we should change about it. It also describes an amazing school called Sudbury Valley. When I heard about the school, I immediately wanted to go there. Then I realized that it was in Massachusetts. Oof. Now, as you might imagine... Wow. So I think Lucy's created another tip for us, which is being receptive to feedback. She obviously took Chris's advice to heart. You can hear how she infused the speech with her personality, changing the rhythm, the way she talked, and making a joke here and there. Okay, okay. I understand that I probably sound like just another kid complaining about homework, but it's not just us kids who know the negative effects come. She pared it down and focused on just one point, like Chris said. She cited specific research. More than two hours of homework a night can be counterproductive, according to this study. She anticipated and addressed the skepticism that her audience might have head on, and she included a vivid personal story. By the end, she actually gave specific steps and volunteered to run a small experiment at her school to see if this is actually a good idea. I mean, how do you say no to that? You have two hours or more of homework. That's insane. If we could cut the homework down to just one hour, think of all the things kids could do that would benefit them more. Thank you. Great job, Lucy. We look forward to hearing your TED Talk someday. 
Do you have something to say but aren't sure how to say it? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And finally, I hope you'll consider signing up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, and you'll be supporting the work we do here on How To. It's only $1 for the first month. To sign up, go to slate.com slash howtoplus. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen and Rosemary Belson produced the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg is probably giving his own talk somewhere right now. I'm David Epstein. See you next time.